Well, good morning. Romans chapter 6 again, and we will pick up, up where we left off last night. Good to see you this morning, and uh, good to see you here on a bank holiday. <laughs> and uh, may the Lord just breathe on us and give life. I'm looking forward to the day, and uh, looking forward to the sessions from Brother Woodward. And uh, we're going to go back into Romans 6 here. If you have your workbook, uh, I encourage you to pull that out. All of the verses that we're going to look at are also in your workbook uh, with various notations as we move along. And uh, you remember there on the front cover, you have an overview. And it's really neat when you see uh, the connection of the truths or the connection, uh, connecting the dots as you go through a passage of Scripture from chapter to chapter. And hopefully we'll... Uh, 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 see that and let the Spirit of God open our eyes as we move along. I remember uh, I got into Romans 6 a long time ago uh, as God began to open my own eyes and launch me on a revival journey. Uh, it began for me uh, initially in 1992 and 93, uh, just with the simple truth of the futility of depending on my own strength and the necessity to depend on the power of the Spirit. And I didn't understand identification truths yet. Uh, but that truth had sunk in, and that was the beginning of a revival journey that has not ceased. Then in 1999, God really uh, stirred me. I was reading a number of books in the 1990s, and the authors were all referring to uh, certain things, and I was asking God to open my eyes, and I just wasn't getting it. And I remember uh, for weeks reading certain passages that are key passages and just feeling like I was in the dark. And uh, I remember crying out to the Lord, Lord, I'm getting passed by. I don't get this. I don't understand. And would you open my eyes? And uh, I remember as the, the Lord uh, graciously uh, hears and he opens, uh, things began to open up. And in the early 2000s, after the uh, move of God at Avoca, uh, Romans 6 began to come alive. And some of the details of identification began to uh, initially fall in place. Of course, all of us keep learning. You know, it's like a flower. It buds and then it just blossoms and grows uh, over the years. And there's so much more to learn. But uh, I spent much time in Romans 6, the first 14 verses, which is where we were last night. Uh, but then I've gotten interested in uh, the rest of Romans 6, Romans 7, and of course Romans 8. And what really got me in it, and I say this because of the men here, is I... Uh, had the uh, invitation to come and uh, do a college module course at the college with Reformers Unanimous, Unanimous in Rockford. And so a lot of the folk that come through the program there, uh, they encourage them if they can to stay in town and get into that college and it's a further discipleship. And so I was teaching a course on sanctification. And I knew, all right, we've got to go through Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8. You can't have a course on sanctification without doing that. And God was speaking to my own heart. And uh, so uh, let's ask the Lord as we uh, dive back into this to again be our teacher. You know, the Holy Spirit, when he opens up truth, it just makes all the difference. Uh, it's, not, it's not intellectually deep. We could say it's spiritually deep. In other words, without the help of the Holy Spirit, we don't get it. <laughs> but ah, uh, when he opens your eyes, that's when you see. And uh, so let's ask him to do that. Now, remember yesterday we began with the foundation of Romans 6 and the first 14 verses. Uh, we are starting with that provision, which is a new relationship. We saw the foundation for it last night. And then tonight, or this morning, that is, we want to get into the illustrations of the new relationship in this session. And uh, the verse 15 in chapter 6 uh, down to the end of chapter 6 gives us the first illustration, and then the first six verses of chapter 7 give us the second illustration. And they highlight two major blessings in the provision of this relationship. So let's deal with these illustrations and ask the Spirit of God to speak. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of this another day. Thank you for the beauty of the day. And Lord, for the blue sky and the sunshine. Lord, I thank you for these that have gathered here in this first hour to hear from you. Oh, Lord, may no one be disappointed. Spirit of God, would you speak to each heart, and may they know that you're speaking to them. And Lord, would you just enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Make truth clear and simple. And Lord, I pray that it would go deep in our hearts, that we would respond in genuine surrender, genuine faith. And I plead the blood of Jesus once again to protect us from the attack of the evil one who seeks to hide 
what we're looking at. And so, Lord Jesus, again, I claim our position in you at the throne far above the enemy. And in your name, to the victory you won at the cross through your shed blood, I exercise your authority over the powers of darkness that would seek to hinder. And this hour and this morning, and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, we need a fresh meeting with you. Would you grant that? And change us into the image of Jesus. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Back from 1996 to 2006, the Lord uh, had opened a number of doors on uh, foreign soil for me to preach. And so in those uh, 10 years, uh, I preached uh, often in other countries. And uh, as you do that, you... um, you're on these flights, and they're overseas flights, and you get these flyer miles. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And I wasn't trying necessarily to build them up, but they were building up anyway because I was taking these flights. And in those days, there was an airline called Northwest Airlines. It's now been bought up by Delta. And uh, evidently, my miles were uh, piling up there, the frequent flyer miles. And I got a, a letter from Northwest Airlines telling me that I was now an elite status. <laughs> Uh, uh, and uh, so this letter uh, gave me a card and it mentioned these uh, privileges that uh, uh, when I was at the airport, I didn't have to wait in the regular line. I could go through another line and just go through uh, as soon as the doors to the plane were opened and all of these special benefits. And I thought, wow, I've never had any of this. This is really going to be neat. And so the next time I go to the airport, I forgot all about it. I'm standing in line just like normal, (laughs) like I had done for years. And just when it was too late to benefit me at all, I remembered, oh, wait a second. (laughs) I have an elite status. (laughs) I could have gone on the plane a lot sooner and all of that. You see, I had a new relationship with that airline, but I had forgotten about the benefits of it and therefore was not accessing the blessings of that new relationship. Now, friend, when you got saved... You got a new relationship with Jesus. And you got an inheritance in the Spirit that is just phenomenal, beyond uh, uh, our imagination. And there are blessings and benefits with that new relationship, but often we just forget about it, or we just don't know. And we're not accessing the privileges and blessings that God has given us. Now, as you see in your notes there, we're beginning with a question. Are you enjoying the blessings of your new relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, at this point in the passage, after that foundation that uh, the apostle lays down under inspiration, that Magna Carta of freedom that is uh, spelled out so beautifully there in the first 14 verses, there are now two illustrations which are going to highlight two major benefits of this new relationship, and both, not surprisingly, center in the person of the indwelling Christ. First of all, the first illustration deals with a new leader. We touched on this last night, but this first illustration highlights the implications of the master-slave relationship. And because you now have a new leader, you have a new source of leadership. Now that was really deep, (laughs) but it's true. In other words, it's not deep at all. Friends, when you got a new leader, you got a new source of leadership that can change everything. And so uh, this part of the passage deals with this. And I want us to see that this new leader, this new master, this, uh, the, the, the indwelling Christ by his spirit, moving in and joining our spirit, that this reality liberates us from flesh indulgence. In other words... The Spirit of Jesus never leads us to indulge our flesh. Never. Galatians tells us the works of the flesh are manifest. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. And it goes on, envy, jealousy, strife, and all these works of the flesh. And when somebody says, hey, I've got liberty, and they're indulging their flesh like that, they are misusing liberty They're missing out on the whole point of it. They're indulging the flesh and the Holy Spirit never leads us to cave in and pander to and pamper our flesh. He doesn't lead that way. And so we need to understand that. This new leader liberates us from that and the bondage that's involved. Now last night we saw in Romans chapter 6, there's some facts you need to know. And be convinced of. 
so that you can yield to the provision of God's life in you, both his nature implanted in you and his spirit there to lead and energize. But even though you and I, if you're saved, possess, you already possess this amazing provision, it is possible to miss out on the benefits if you ignore the new relationship. So let's pick it up in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. Now remember verse 14, where we ended last night, has that great statement that when you are yielding to the indwelling Christ, verse 13, at that point, sin, that old master uh, that you got severed from, shall not have dominion over you. For at that point, you're not under the law, but you are under grace. You're under spirit enablement. So, coming off of that, he says in verse 15, What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law but under grace. Then he says, God forbid, that's a wrong conclusion. It's true we're not under the law. We're going to see that. It's amazingly true. But that is not a license to sin. You see, the law cannot keep us from sin. Only grace can. Only the Spirit of Jesus can. So to sin, to indulge our flesh, means we're missing out on grace. And when we do, we're making ourselves a slave to a master who no longer has authority over us. And that's the foolishness of it. Now, at this point, the illustration contains two emphases of this master-slave concept. First of all, the first emphasis is that you and I choose which master you serve. Look at verse 16. Know ye not. There's that little gentle rebuke again. Don't you know this? You ought to know this. You're a child of God. Don't you know that to whom? Now notice it doesn't say to what. It says to whom you yield yourself. That's the word present in Romans 12. So don't you know that to whom you present yourselves servants or slaves to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of indwelling sin, that old master, unto death, of obedience, and in the context of verses 13 and 14, that's the obedience of faith, under righteousness. In other words, faith accesses the righteous life of Christ in you. As we move to the top of the next page, notice here that the choice is not whether or not you will serve. We all serve. Our only choice is who we will serve. We need to understand that so we make the right choice. And we also need to understand that it is no longer a matter of forced labor. Now back on pages 4 or 5 or whatever it was there in your handbook when we had those diagrams, you remember we have the concentric circles, and you can look back at it if you'd like, of body, soul, and spirit. And we saw that prior to salvation, the unregenerated human spirit, the old man. Is that on page 4 in, uh, in your notes? I think it is. Uh, I'm working off a little bit uh, different set of things here. I've got to make sure my pagination is right for you. But you have that unregenerated human spirit, the old man, that was in that relationship, that union with that old master of indwelling sin. And we noted last night that in that condition, it's as if we're chained. We are shackled to this master. We are slaves to a taskmaster, and it involves forced labor. That's how it was before we got saved. But when you believed on Jesus, as we saw last night, the Spirit placed you into Jesus Christ. That means you got placed into his history, which means you got placed into his death, and thus you died with Christ unto sin. And at that moment, in the immaterial part of you, that union with that old master was cut. It was severed. You were separated from that old master of indwelling sin. You were raised with Christ, the new man. God's nature, his righteous nature, his holy nature was implanted into you. And then the Holy Spirit of Jesus moved in, bringing the very life of Christ right into you. You have now a new master. But we need to understand the new master works differently. He doesn't force us. See, in the old relationship, it was forced labor. We got severed from that old master. That old master still resides in our, in our flesh on the soul body levels, but we're not connected to him in the spirit part of our being. The real you is now righteous and holy, and you are connected. You are actually joined to the indwelling Christ. You are in a new relationship, but he doesn't force us. 
He wants a love response. You see, dictators don't lead. They force. So that you have to follow. Leaders, this is really hard to get, lead. (laughs) So that you want to follow. And friends, we have a new leader. And he does not force us. It's amazing that God, almighty God, who spoke the world into into existence, that this almighty sovereign God has chosen not to force us. We're not robots. He wants a love response. He wants us to gladly follow his leadership, to trust his leadership. That's a cooperation. Uh, That's a love relationship. Now, in the next bullet we see the choice of which master you and I serve is a continual choice. Because the word yield there, or present, is in a verb tense, the present tense, which means this is repeated. It's continual. In other words, every day we have new choices of which leader we'll follow. Right? Every day we are aware of that tug and pull of the old master toward that which is Satan's will versus that sweet leadership of the Holy Spirit leading us to God's will. And so you have the two choices pictured here or mentioned here. That old master that we pictured back on pages 4 and 5 of indwelling sin. And you notice in the text there in verse 16 it says, uh, Don't you know uh, you choose one way or the other? And whether of indwelling sin unto death. The word unto is actually the word into. In other words, when you and I yield to that old master, then we're yielding to that which is separated from God's life. Which means it's death. So when you yield to the old master, it's, you're, you're embracing death. It is uh, sin unto or into death. It is alienated, separated from life. You know what? That's bad. <laughs> Lack of life is bad. <laughs> I remember we uh, went to the country of Myanmar. It's formerly called Burma. And I've been there six times over the years. And a very sweet people group called the Chin People on the western side of that uh, uh, country. And uh, I was there with, uh, some of you know Mike Reddick, and uh, we were there uh, deep into the country in a town called Tahan Kalimio. And we were holding a net seminar, a Netcasters Evangelism Training Seminar, this particular uh, week. And so a number of the folk had come in from various places and uh, uh, so on. And, and we'd begin the day just like uh, we did here. And uh, they're up in a higher altitude, so it's a, it's a bit cool and so on. Uh, but... Uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, the people were there, and they were hungry, and, and it was a delight. And every day, uh, some ladies would come by and hand uh, Mike and I a, uh, a bottle of, uh, of uh, bottled water, and it was wrapped in uh, cellophane wrap. Now, it was not in English. <laughs> I think it was Burmese, because it had little squiggly lines. So it wasn't not even the Chin language. And, uh, and, but it was cellophane wrapped, and so on. And so every day, we had our water bottle for the day, or if we needed more, they'd get us more, and so on. And so... Uh, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, we had that. Friday they came, they brought us the same uh, kind of bottles. It was the same uh, um, plastic-wrapped bottle. Everything was the same, it looked like. But when I opened mine and took the cap off, I noticed that the water, instead of being like a half inch or an inch down from the top like it normally is, was right at the brim. And I remember thinking to myself, that's unusual And I took two very tiny sips. And I thought, this doesn't taste right. So I told Mike, I said, Mike, this water doesn't taste right. Now Mike is trained in the whole chef world before he was called to preach and he understands all that stuff. So he opened his and his water was at the brim too. (laughs) He took one small sip. And I will never forget the look on his face. He said, John. This is bad water. Now let me tell you, it was bad. (laughs) In other words, it took a few hours, (laughs) but the ramifications were bad. (laughs) You talk about no life. (laughs) It was terrible. And uh, thankfully, it was the last day of the conference, and uh, we flew back to Yangon. He was sick on that flight. And then it hit me. And so now we're both sick because we're flying from Yangon to Singapore. And I mean... Sick. Now, I'll spare you the details. <laughs> but we 
were sick. I was so sick. <laughs> the stewardess let me, you know, they had a, and this was, a, uh, I think it was me and my airlines. Uh, but at any rate, they had a curtain there at the back of the plane. And that's where they did all their stuff to get the coffee and drinks and whatever. And so they're out serving. And she, she let me sit in her chair back there so that I could be near a little room. <laughs> and I remember as she'd go out to serve the people, and I was behind that curtain. I'm just sitting there going, oh, I'm just audibly just, I'm, my body's going like this, and I'm just groaning. And she'd come through the curtain, and I'd go, hmm. <laughs> like everything's fine, but it wasn't fine. Uh, we were sick. And so, uh, you know, the truth is, when you drink the bad water of yielding to the old master, it's a mess. You see, it's the opposite of life. There's no love. There's no joy. There's no peace. You're not accessing the fruit of the Spirit. But there's the second choice of the new master, the indwelling Christ, that uh, yielding, that obedience of faith as we access his righteous life and uh, yielding to that new master and accessing him. I'm going to tell you, that's good. And not even Gatorade gives us the right picture of the power and life source of that new master. And so... The first emphasis here is you and I make the choice of which master we'll serve. But notice the second emphasis in the middle of the page. The scripture now gives us a case for choosing your real master. So you got severed from that old master. He still resides in your soul body levels and the flesh part of us. But we're not connected to him. We're raised with Christ, that new man, as we've been mentioning. The Holy Spirit has moved in. We're now connected to the indwelling Christ, and he is our real leader. Now, in verses 17 down to the end of the chapter, there's at least four reasons that build a case for making the right choice of yielding to your real leader. First of all, you have a new relationship. Notice verse 17. Here's a beautiful salvation testimony. But God be thanked that although, is the idea, you were. In other words, when you were unsaved, you were the servants of indwelling sin. Yes, that was true before you got saved. But you have obeyed. There's the will. From the heart, there's the affections. That form of doctrine, there's the mind, which was delivered you. And when you did, you trusted Christ. And that brought you into a relationship change. And verse 18 sums up the first 14 verses of the chapter when it says, being or having been then made free, liberated from that old master of indwelling sin, you became the servants of righteousness. And there's that whole truth that when you got saved, that old relationship with that old master of indwelling sin was forever severed, and that new relationship with the indwelling Christ is forever sealed. You have a new union. So, you have a new relationship. So, number two, it makes sense to practice your new relationship. Now, look at the words of verse 19. He says, I speak after the manner of men. We would say, humanly speaking. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity or the weakness of your flesh. For, as you have yielded, presented your members your bodily members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now, now that you're saved, yield, present your members, bodily members, servants to righteousness unto or into holiness. Now the so now is the idea. Look, live in light of the change. You now have a new relationship. The word yield is a command. But it's not just that there's a command. You have a new relationship, so practice it. That's the whole point. And when you do, you access the holy life of Christ in you, your new leader. Then, verse 19 also makes clear that the way is simple. Present your bodily members to the right master... For the right purpose. That's where we ended last night. So it's picking it up in this illustration of the master slave saying, look, present your body parts, your bodily members to the right master for the right purpose. Look, indwelling sin cannot sin without a body. 
So our bodies, as one commentator puts it, become the sphere for the activity of sin. (laughs) That old master of indwelling sin can't sin without a body, or more specifically, without body parts. Therefore, don't give them a chance. Present your bodily members to the indwelling Christ to access his righteous life. In other words, the tools of our eyes and our ears and our tongues and our hands and our feet. Put them in the right master's hands. Now, my next illustration I'm a little fearful of using because I'm not in America right now. I'm in Europe. And there's two different paradigms on this. (laughs) In America, we like guns. (laughs) And... uh, I hope I'm not going to stir up too much controversy here in the next couple of minutes. And uh, my wife is actually a phenomenal shot, I'm telling you. She can outshoot me and my son. <laughs> We're all learning. Uh, but she, she, she outshoots us. She doesn't have a stray bullet. I mean, she puts them all right in one little, you know, circle. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, there is a phrase that uh, is a part of the controversy in the States about all this. It's the difference between a bad guy with a gun and a good guy with a gun. See, the gun is not intrinsically right or wrong. It's whose hands it gets put into. Bad guy, you got trouble. Good guy, there's protection. Okay. The instrument of our lives can be put into the hands of the old master, the bad guy. And death is the result. Because everything that we do when we yield to that old master is separated from life, from Christ in us who is life. He's being veiled. We don't even look saved when we're indulging our flesh. Unsaved flesh and saved flesh looks the same as we saw last night. But all when those same members, those same eyes, those same ears, same tongues, hands, feet are put into the hands of the indwelling Christ. Then his very life from the center of our being is imparted to us. You see, it's not a matter of us trying to imitate him. No, it's him. It's impartation, not imitation. He imparts, the spirit imparts the very life of Jesus to us and through us. See, that's the spirit for life. It's when the spirit fills you with the life. Of Jesus Christ. And that life is imparted to you. So that your eyes and your ears. Your hands and feet. Your tongue. Are now being energized by him. And it's all righteous. It's all good. Why? It's all life. Because he is life. That means. If we have that potential. Then theoretically. There's no need. For lapses. And escapades of sin. Of indulging the flesh. Of diving into the world. Friends, if words have meaning and if language has integrity. God did an amazing work in us where he has severed us from that old master. And he's raised us and planted his life in us. And his spirit has moved in. The provision is such That there doesn't need to be these lapses and these escapades that we're all too familiar with of unholiness. And friends, when we make the right choice, the result is great. And you see a major contrast in verses 20 and following between the two positions and the two practices. Uh, talks about uh, uh, the, the negative side in verses uh, 20 and 21. For when you were, back when you were unsaved, when you were the servants of indwelling sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. In other words, that's no fruit. Notice the contrast to real fruit then in verse 22. But now, being or having been made free, liberated from indwelling sin, and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto or into holiness, and the end, everlasting life. Now you're accessing Christ in you, and the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. You're now accessing the holy life himself. And you see the position and practice contrasted again between death and life in verse 23. For the wages 
of that old master of indwelling sin is death. Everything we do in yielding to him as a child of God is ignoring the provision of Christ in us who is life and the wages of that old master is death. It's always separated from God who is life. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the context, that verse is primarily dealing with Christians. Though, it encompasses the whole package and therefore we can use it in the Romans road as we witness to lost people. But it's in the context of Christians. So the whole point of this first illustration is you have a new leader and you get to choose. You're not a robot. Which leader you serve. And so it gives the case to choose the real leader. Why? Because you have a new relationship with him. You're joined to him. So it makes sense to practice that new relationship. The way is simple. Just present your eyes, your ears, uh, your, your body parts to him. In other words, instead of presenting your, uh, say for instance, your tongue to indwelling sin, to be used as an instrument of griping and complaining and criticizing and tearing people down, present that same tongue to the real master. Be used as an instrument of edification and grace and blessing. See, instead of presenting our eyes to the old master to indulge the flesh, present your eyes to the new master (laughs) to take in what God wants us to take in, which is uh, uh, ordained of him a blessing and a life. Instead of using our hands for evil by yielding them to that old master, yield them to the new master, your real master, your real leader. To be used for that which is right. And the result is always good because you're accessing life. So, choose the leadership of the Spirit of Jesus. And when you do, the victorious life of the indwelling Christ delivers you from indwelling sin and therefore flesh indulgence. That is the first benefit. It's the fact that we have a divine personal guide. So follow his leadership. The second benefit is the fact that this same person is a new enabler. Now we come into Romans chapter 7, the first six verses, and this illustration reveals the implications of the husband-wife relationship. So different illustration than master-slave or employer-employee. It's now husband-wife. And here we're going to see that because you have a new enabler, you have a new source of power. Just like the new leader means we have a new source of leadership, The new enabler means we have a new source of enablement or power. And just as the new leader frees us from flesh indulgence, the new enabler liberates from flesh dependence. Chapter 7 in the original language begins with the word or. So it's a different illustration. There's a different emphasis. There's similarities But there's a different principle being taught. So let's look at it here. Know ye not. There's that gentle rebuke again. Don't you know? You ought to know this. Brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, in other words, if he dies, she is loosed or released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead or dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now, as a side note here, I believe the reason a woman is mentioned here and not a man is simply because of the illustration that the believer is a part of the bride who is married to Christ, who, of course, is the husband. Now, let's get to the implications in verses 4, 5, and 6 of what it's talking about here. You see, verse 4 is going to let us know that the new relationship with the new husband provides a new purpose. Look at what it says. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law... Now, that's a different phrase than dead to sin. That was the first illustration. Here it says, you become dead to the law by the body of Christ, same Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is or was raised from the dead. That, here's the purpose, we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, The purpose here is getting to that fruit unto God, accessing Him, and therefore the fruit of the Spirit. And so that has to come from His power. The issue is enablement. Now, the law is personified here as the first husband. 
Indwelling sin was personified as the first master. But here's a different principle. The law is personified as the first husband. Let us know this is a different truth. And there's this whole new purpose of a new husband to bring forth, it says here, fruit unto God. Instead of what we saw at the end of chapter 6, that fruit to death, the opposite of his life, uh, there's that fruit into his life, his holy life, which is him, and therefore the fruit of the Spirit, that's true holiness. Now, true holiness cannot be imitated. It's only when we yield to the indwelling Christ and the Spirit imparts his holy life to us and through us, that is true holiness. Everything else is counterfeit. Religions try to counterfeit through their works systems. But even as a believer, if you go back to depending on your own strength, your own flesh as the power source, then you are trying to imitate Christ. And the fact is the flesh cannot imitate Christ. Only God meets the standard of God. That's why in justification we need imputed righteousness. That's why in sanctification we need imparted righteousness. And friends, any attempt at holiness that leaves out the Holy Spirit is not holiness. It's only when we are accessing the the provision as Christ in us by His Spirit uh, is imparting His life so that we're experiencing His love and his joy, and his peace, and his long-suffering, and so on. Friends, that's holiness. Everything else is the counterfeit. Everything else is the imitation. And that holy life of him has a new purpose. That we might bring this forth this fruit, this fruit of the Spirit, unto God. But how? That brings us to the second implication, as we see here. The new relationship with the new husband provides a new power source. Now look at verses 5 and 6. These two verses are key to these three chapters. They're right in the middle. Here's the pivotal point. For when we were in the flesh, and the definite article is present in that phrase, emphasizing uh, that unsaved condition, when we were actually joined to that old master, we were in the flesh. When that was the case, part of salvation, the motions of sins which were aroused by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now, here's your turning point. We are, have been delivered from the law. Here's the safe condition. That being dead wherein, or having died to what we were held by, that, here's that purpose, uh, uh, that explanation, we should serve, now notice this, in the new, in newness of spirit. And the grammar indicates, we'll see here in a moment, in the newness of the power of the Spirit, and not in the oldness of the power of the letter. Now, this is Romans 6-8, through 8. we're all the way to verse 6 of chapter 7, and this is the first mention of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's implied in chapter 6 three times in the word grace. But this is the first direct, explicit mention of the Holy Spirit. And when he's mentioned here, that we should serve in newness of spirit, the definite article, that's simply the word the, is absent before his name. Now, as we just saw earlier with the word flesh, when the definite article is present, it emphasizes that entity, that person. When it's absent, it emphasizes the quality or the power or the ministry or the operation of the person that is named. And so that's what you have here. The point is that the new husband, Jesus by his spirit, is the new power source, not the former husband, the law. Therefore, there's a new way. The new way is spirit dependence over the old way of flesh dependence. The grammar, by, de, by uh, having the definite article absent, emphasizes that the point is power. It's enablement. That's the issue that's being emphasized here. Not just leadership, but enablement. Power. Now, If you and I look to the law for leadership, that law focus leaves you with a law dependence, which is really flesh dependence, your attempt to obey the law, but, as the next bullet says, 
The law has no power to enable you and I to obey. You see, the law does not remove sin. It only reveals it. It has no power to enable us to obey. So if we are depending on the law and therefore our own strength to keep it, it doesn't work. I remember one time I was in the Philippines and uh, I love the Philippines. They got uh, they beautiful fruit. Um, but I uh, had a, uh, when I travel abroad, I, had, I carry a little battery operated uh, shaver um, and something happened. It broke. And so one of the men uh, heard that my shaver had broken. And so he said, here, you can have this. Try this. And it was a, it was a thumb operated shaver. <laughs> Looked like a little men's shaver. Uh, but instead of, uh, you know, plugging it in or a battery, the way you generated the power was you went like this with your thumb. <laughs> so I would go like this and he'd go and spin. I thought, well, this is going to be cool. But I couldn't spin it fast enough to make it work. <laughs> There was not enough power. <laughs> My thumb evidently was not in shape. <laughs> so I said, fooey on this. And I went and bought a new shaper that used batteries. And uh, had the power source. Now, friends, when we try to do this Christian life thing without the power of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> we can't generate enough power. Just can't do it. You see... There has to be a supernatural power. That's what's emphasized here. As that last part of verse 6. Essentially saying, as we see in the uh, bottom of uh, that last bullet on page 14. That we should serve. Of course, that would be the new leader. In newness or quality of the spirit. That's the new enabler. So let's sum it up then on uh, page 15. Friends, God wants us to understand that this matter of the Christian life and Christian living is not a matter of ritual. It's a matter of relationship. You know what? I didn't get that for years. I should have. My father understood this. He preached it. He lived it. But you know, as long as you're content with you, forgive this phrase, who needs God? And I was, you know, all about the rituals. I was all about doing church. (laughs) I was all about, here's the box, get in it. (laughs) And there's several problems with that. One is, you can, in some measure, produce the form of godliness. And deny the power thereof. (laughs) That's a counterfeit. And that leads to pride. But the reality is... There's a ton of areas where you don't even have the form. I'm going to tell you, every flesh-dependent Christian has junk in their closets. Because flesh dependence unchecked leads to flesh indulgence, as Galatians plays out for us. And people who act like they got it together and they ignore the power of the Holy Spirit and outwardly they seem like, wow, this looks good, I'm going to tell you something. There's junk behind closed doors. They go together. Flesh is flesh. Flesh dependence unchecked will lead to flesh indulgence. And friends, the answer here is not a ritual of motions. It's not a list of things to do. No, the answer is a relationship with this new leader. And he's not just the leader. He's the enabler to enable us to follow his leadership. You see, spirituality is not conformity to a ritual. Spirituality is being rightly related to the Holy Spirit. Where you are yielding to his leadership. And you are yielding to his power. So that the life of Jesus is bursting forth through your personality. Friends, that's the revived life. That's not legalism. It's not license. It's life. You see, Christian liberty is found in a life. And friends, if we don't get that, you end up either being the legalistic guy... Or a total flagrant license guy. The only way to navigate and stay out of those ditches of legalism and license is a life. His name is Jesus. And he moved in to lead us. To keep us on that road between those two ditches. And to enable us to stay there. See, he's the answer. 
The Christian life is not just a set of doctrines. The Christian life is not merely uh, a set of moral actions. Unsafe moralists can mimic all of that. The Christian life is a life, a person. His name is Jesus. He is the Christian life himself. Which means nobody can live the Christian life but Christ. But here's the good news. When you got saved, Christ, the Christian life himself, moved in to impart to you and I that very life. So that you can live, yet not you, but Christ in you. The Christian life. And friends, that's the good news between this bondage of legalism and bondage of license. Depend on the spirit of Jesus. His leadership. His power. And he will always lead you to the plateau of God's absolutes based on the written word. And he will lead you to where you need to be on that plateau But that will vary from person to person. In other words, when we are rightly related to the Spirit, it will all be within the boundaries of the absolutes of the written word. In other words, when the Bible says flee fornication, it doesn't allow for it. (laughs) So there are written absolutes. And when we're rightly related to the Spirit, we're on that plateau. However, that plateau is a plateau... And the Holy Spirit will lead person to person. Here's what's variable. The plateau, that's what's absolute based on the written word. What's variable is where the Spirit leads you in um, convictions. And can I use this word? Standards. He will lead you to put guardrails up to keep you from going off the edge. And when you obey Him, your dependence is on Him. But if you take your focus off of him and just depend on the standard, now you're in trouble. Because inevitably life puts us in places where that standard's not there. Now what are you going to do? That's when people crash and burn. And so the point is, it's a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, compromisers make the absolutes variable. Legalists make the variables absolute. (laughs) In other words... What they see is the right way to play it out. They make universal. But on the plateau, it's it's not one size fits all. God knows where you and I as an individual need to be to keep us from going off the edge into compromise or to protect those that we influence. So he will lead us to positions and things that we need to obey. Why? Anything the Holy Spirit leads you to, he's the leader. In other words, my family, we, we have some convictions, my wife and I and son, that probably some people think are nuts. But that's how the Holy Spirit has led us. But those are not absolutes for everybody else. Now, the written absolutes, that's for everybody. There's your plateau. But on that plateau, we must obey the Holy Spirit as to where we apply the absolutes so that we are protected from going off into compromise and the world. And so again, the key between the legalism and the license there is the life, the person of Jesus. And so in summary, you and I have a new relationship that involves a new leader and a new enabler. So the point is, choose the leadership of the Spirit of Jesus for deliverance from sin, flesh indulgence, and choose the power of the Spirit of Jesus for deliverance from self, which is flesh dependence. The Spirit of Jesus as the new leader frees us from flesh indulgence. He will never lead us off the plateau. Ever. And the same Spirit of Jesus enables us, this new enabler, Frees us from flesh dependence. So ultimately, this new relationship provides new leadership, new power. And that is a provision for new living. Now think about it. The provision is God. In you. As your personal guide and personal power source to follow that guidance. That's phenomenal. When I was teaching the course on sanctification at the Reformers Unanimous uh, College there in Rockford. There was a couple in the class. They were from New York State. American Indians. And they had gotten into addictions and all sorts of things that uh, 
God used to get them over to Rockford. And they came through the program and God was working in their lives. And now they're through the program and they're in this college. Further discipleship. And the wife was a very astute thinker. She asked amazing questions. Really neat. When you're teaching a class like that, to have that kind of um, in-tuneness. And I remember as we were dealing with this emphasis about this provision. She raised her hand. And she had a very quizzical look on her face. So I called on her. And she was baffled as she said, you mean we don't have to sin? I said, well, ma'am, based on what the text says, that is the provision. And she began to weep. Now, don't misunderstand. That's not sinless perfection. It's sinless provision. When God placed his nature in you, that part of you is what's all new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. And just like an acorn, it's perfect as an acorn can grow into an oak tree. The part, of God's, the part of us, the human spirit that got regenerated, God's life now in you, that's the part that grows. And then the Holy Spirit moves in and joins that to lead and empower that growth. That's growing in grace as we walk by faith. And so... There's this amazing provision. When you think about it, not just his nature in you, but his spirit in you. You talk about sinless provision. It has to be his name is Jesus. And we get so afraid of sinless perfection that we're, uh, we get all bent out of shape when the reality is we ought to be worried about the sinful imperfections that we tolerate. <laughs> I've never seen anybody getting close to sinless perfection. But the truth is, if you're saved, you have a sinless provision. God moved in. His life, his spirit. And that spirit of Jesus is the new leader and the new enabler to from the spirit through your soul, through your body, impart to you the very life of Jesus Christ. Illustrated here by the fact that we have a new master, we have a new husband, so things can now radically change because he's a good master who doesn't force us, he leads us. And when we follow, trusting his leadership and power, that life of Jesus is imparted to us and we literally get to experience Jesus this side of heaven. You know what that is? It's heaven on earth. My father used to say what makes heaven heaven is Jesus and what makes heaven on earth is Jesus. And when we access him now, we experience that reality. May we grab a hold of this new leader and new power source. Lord, I pray that you'd bless your truth to our hearts as we continue on. And uh, Lord, use it to set free. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.